The next item of business is First Minister's questions. I intend taking both constituency and general supplementaries after question two. Members wishing to ask supplementaries, please press the request to speak buttons during question two. I'll keep a note of members who press and take further supplementaries if we have any time in hand after question seven. Members wishing to ask a supplementary on questions three to seven, please press during the relevant question. I call Douglas Ross. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. After months of worry about what would happen, last night we heard that the train strikes have thankfully been averted. While it's a welcome relief for commuters across Scotland, it should never have taken the 11th hour to secure. So can the First Minister explain why the additional funding and urgency was only found to resolve this now, as world leaders are coming to town for COP26? And why are they more important than ordinary Scots who have had to put up with this since March? First Minister. Well, Douglas Ross clearly hasn't uh, looked at or understood uh, the nature uh, and the detail of what was agreed last night, but I'll come on to that in a second. Uh, a very reasonable offer uh, was made to the rail unions. Uh, negotiations have been ongoing for some time. I think the reasonableness of the offer is evidenced by the fact that of the four rail unions uh, that were party to these negotiations, Three of them had already accepted that offer. Uh, the outstanding one was the RMT, and agreement was reached, uh, I'm delighted to say, uh, last night. Um, and the basis of that agreement is a one-year deal, and this is where I don't think Douglas Ross has looked at the detail. There is no additional funding in that uh, one-year uh, deal. The uh, deal that was offered for uh, the first year is the same as the one that was offered to the RMT uh, earlier this week. Uh, the difference is, uh, for the second year, which the other unions have accepted, there will be further uh, negotiations uh, to come. I think this is a good outcome for the travelling public across Scotland. It doesn't simply remove uh, the prospect of a rail strike over uh, the period of COP. It also resolves uh, the Sunday strikes that have been going, ongoing for some time. So it's a good outcome um, and one that I'm delighted uh, to see secured uh, over the course of the last 24 hours. Douglas Ross. Douglas Ross. Does the First Minister really expect us to believe there was no funding involved in that? Suddenly, the real unions just suddenly decided to accept it. And, and I was very clear yeah. in my question. And I hope the First Minister might have taken the opportunity to apologise to people across Scotland who have faced yeah, yeah, this disruption yeah, yeah, yeah. since March. They have been waiting for a resolution for months. And only now, as world leaders are about to come to Glasgow, has this been resolved. But COP26 presents a huge opportunity to tackle climate change. But for working people across Glasgow, it will disrupt their daily lives, even with this RMT strike cancelled. The list of road closures is considerable and there are, is massive potential for traffic to grind to halt. So can I ask the First Minister if she is confident that Glasgow City Council and the Scottish Government have done everything they can to minimise the disruption to commuters and local residents in Glasgow trying to get on with their daily lives? First Minister. Well, firstly, before uh, I come on to the questions relating uh, to COP more substantively, uh, let me uh, finish uh, and conclude on the points uh, relating to Rio. In passing, though, it's worth just pointing out uh, that as far as I understand it, and I'll be corrected if I'm wrong here, where Douglas Ross's party is in power south of the border, rail workers are getting no pay increase anywhere near the pay increase that is being offered to rail workers in Scotland. So not for the first time there is something of an irony. 
Uh, but secondly, and this is where I really would suggest that I would have thought he would have done it before coming to ask these questions today, but given that he clearly didn't, he might want to do it after he's asked these questions. Uh, the agreement that was accepted by the RMT uh, last night is virtually identical to the deal that had already been accepted for the other unions uh, for that one year. Uh, that is the position. It is the same deal that had been on the table at the weekend uh, for the RMT. I am delighted that agreement has been reached because it now, now does uh, remove the prospect of strikes. Um, and moving on to the issue, firstly, I think uh, COP, I hope COP is successful uh, in terms of the objective of making real progress towards tackling climate change. All of us uh, should want to see that success over the next two weeks. The Scottish Government, working uh, with the UK Government, with the United Nations, with Glasgow City Council, have put in place appropriate contingency measures to ensure the successful uh, logistical operation of COP. And uh, we will not be complacent. Our resilience arrangements are stood up. There will be day-to-day uh, -day monitoring of all of the different aspects uh, of this. But I am as confident as it is possible to be uh, that those arrangements are appropriate. Of course, it's not a Scottish Government event. It is a United Nations event. The UK Government is the formal host and we are working closely with them. To the people of Glasgow, and I am a resident of the City of Glasgow, I'm a representative of part of the City of Glasgow, there will be disruption and inconvenience over the next two weeks and I know that will be regrettable in many ways. But I think the majority of people in Glasgow understand the importance of the COP26 summit for the future of the planet. And I want to take the opportunity of wishing the United Nations negotiators, the UK COP presidency and everybody attending in that official capacity uh, every success in reaching a deal that does put the future of the planet and generations to come first. Let's just start at what the First, Min with, uh, what the First Minister said in that answer and crucially what she didn't say. I, I hate to break it to the First Minister, but you can't be virtually identical. Identical means they are the same. So if they are virtually identical, then they are not the same. Exactly. And there was clearly a difference exactly. for that to be accepted. Exactly. But what, well, what the First Minister didn't say in her first answer or her second answer was sorry. Sorry to the people of Scotland yeah. who have yeah. been waiting for months for her government to step up and resolve these issues. It has been resolved now, but it should have been resolved far sooner because people have been struggling with these strikes since March. But the First Minister did accept that there will be disruption and inconvenience for people in Glasgow. And there is that real potential for disruption from protest groups at COP26 that risks public safety. Just this morning, Extinction Rebellion said they are planning deliberate disruption with the most impact possible. We all respect the right of protesters to express their views, but we cannot sit back and allow deliberate and dangerous disruption of people's lives. Will the First Minister reassure people across Glasgow that there will be a zero-tolerance approach to protests that disrupt people going to their work, including doctors and nurses and ambulances carrying people in urgent need of medical care? First Minister. Well, firstly, uh, on rail, um, I think what Douglas Ross is really displaying here, if truth be told, is a real disappointment that the rail strike uh, has been resolved because he would rather have seen it continue. 
And he wants to know uh, the detail, again, given that he didn't check the detail before coming into uh, the Chamber today. The deals already agreed by the other unions uh, consisted of, for uh, the first year, 2.5% backdated uh, for 2021, a £300 COP26 payment and a rest day working agreement. The deal agreed uh, with the RMT last night consists of 2.5% backdated for 2021, a £300 payment for COP26 and a rest day working agreement. So that sounds to me pretty identical uh, to the one that had already been agreed by three of the four unions. It's good news for those who travel on our railways. It's good news for the Scottish population, which is probably why Douglas Ross is so deeply irritated by it. And on, uh, obviously, it is for Police Scotland uh, to decide the appropriate uh, approach to the policing of demonstrations. The Chief Constable, uh, who I'll be uh, having further discussions with over the course of today and uh, tomorrow around this, has been very clear that there will be a sensitive policing operation uh, that will uh, do everything possible to facilitate appropriate and peaceful protest, uh, but Police Scotland will respond uh, to any protests that seek to break the law and, of course, disrupt uh, people beyond what would be considered reasonable. Um, people do want to come and make their voices heard. I, I think that is understandable, given the importance of the issues under discussion. But I would say to people uh, looking to come to protest in Glasgow, do it peacefully uh, and do it with a recognition that the people of Glasgow are agreeing to host this conference, uh, are suffering some disruption because of that, so don't add to that disruption for them. But let's all get behind those who will be negotiating, I hope, a good outcome for the future of the planet. Douglas Ross. Nicola Sturgeon speaks about disappointment and irritation. If she wants to look for disappointment and irritation, it's commuters who have been putting up with yeah. this since March. And we've now had three attempts for the First Minister to have some humility and accept that the problems of these strikes have affected people up and down Scotland for months. And would she take the opportunity to recognise the disruption that has caused to people across Scotland and the fact that it has been resolved at the last minute looks like it's more important for COP26 eh, to be suitably um, eh, sorted in terms of travel arrangements and not for people across Scotland. But she also mentions the protests that are expected over the next couple of weeks in Glasgow. And there have been suggestions from some public figures, including one of Nicola Sturgeon's own ministers, mm -hmm. that some unlawful protest will be tolerated. Mm. It's one thing to be frustrated by the lack of action on climate change, but it's another thing entirely to take that frustration and use it to disrupt people's lives. We all want COP26 to be a success. It's not just an opportunity to tackle climate change, it's a once-in-a-generation chance to highlight the best of Glasgow to the rest of the world. It's already been a rocky road getting to this point, from strike threats to hospital appointments being cancelled, to the well-known problems with bin collections and concerns over wider travel disruption. So is the First Minister now fully confident that Glasgow is ready to grasp this opportunity? First Minister. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, obviously, uh, the UK Government has a big part to play here. Douglas Ross is actually sounding a bit disappointed that the UK Government decided to bring COP26 uh, to Glasgow. Uh, perhaps he wants to direct some of these concerns uh, to them. 
Uh, these are serious issues uh, that the Scottish Government uh, has been focused on with our partners, which in the case of COP includes the UK Government, Glasgow City Council, the United Nations. I met just yesterday uh, with the UN lead negotiator in, in COP26 to discuss, uh, obviously, some of the logistical issues around it, but also the substance of the, the negotiations. Um, on the issue of rail disruption, the Scottish Government uh, has been supporting ScotRail uh, to bring an end uh, to any disruption. I always regret disruption that is caused uh, by disputes of this nature. Uh, but I do think the offer that has been made uh, to rail unions was a reasonable one, evidenced by the fact that three out of the four unions uh, had already accepted it. And I'm glad to say uh, that we reached agreement uh, with the fourth of these four unions uh, last night to take away the prospect of strike and to end uh, the Sunday disruption that has uh, been suffered now for some time. Uh, finally, presiding officer, on the issue of protest, uh, in a constitutional democracy, it is not for politicians to decide how they police demonstrations. It is for the police to decide uh, how they appropriately police demonstrations. So if what Douglas Ross is asking me is, do I have confidence in the ability of Police Scotland to do that appropriately and sensitively and with the interests of the people of Glasgow and Scotland at heart, then yes, I do have confidence in Police Scotland to do so. Thank you. Thank you. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Presenting officer, next week the eyes of the world will be on Glasgow as leaders gather for our last great chance to avert the climate emergency. It's in all of our interests and those of future generations that COP26 succeeds. We have the opportunity to strike a historic Glasgow agreement, but the proposals currently on the table currently would still lead to over two degrees of global warming. That simply isn't good enough. That's why it's important that political leaders both at home and abroad turn their words into meaningful action. So does the First Minister agree that means leading by example? First Minister. Uh, yes, I do uh, agree that, and Scotland does lead by example. That is not to say we have uh, not got more work to do, because we absolutely, most definitely have. But our own statutory uh, climate change targets are consistent, more than consistent indeed, uh, with the Paris Agreement, uh, and therefore that does give us the ability to apply pressure uh, to others. We are not, unfortunately, directly at the negotiating table, but we have a considerable degree of influence, not least through uh, our co-convenership of the Under Two Coalition, bringing uh, city-state devolved governments together uh, to maximise uh, maximum pressure uh, on these discussions. Uh, so yes, we must lead by example. There is a big job of work to do uh, to keep 1.5 degrees alive, uh, which is the aim of the COP26 summit. There is a gap on emissions uh, right now. There is a gap on climate finance. Uh, and I know the negotiators uh, are very focused on trying to close that gap as much as possible. And that's what we've got to hope emerges over the period of this summit. Anna Sarwar. Officer, I'll, I'll come back to the national record, but let's talk about what it means locally. First Minister, I love Glasgow. It's my home. But frankly, it's been let down by the SNP, who can't even get the basics right. Tons of waste piling up on our streets, fly tipping on the rise, and over a million rats. Glasgow deserves better. So while Nicola Sturgeon lectures the world about the global environment, she is turning a blind eye on the environment Glaswegians are living in every single day. Tomorrow, I'll be joining cleansing workers who have been on the front line throughout this pandemic. They have been crying out for months for Nicola Sturgeon to tackle the waste crisis, but they have been repeatedly ignored. So will she join me tomorrow in Glasgow to hear directly from them about the challenges they face every day? 
First Minister. I know I'll be working hard to make sure the Scottish Government is doing everything to support COSLA and local authorities. I hope to reach an agreement uh, with trade unions uh, to, to resolve the issues here. That's my uh, job and responsibility. Uh, I don't shy away uh, from the problems and the challenges that cities like Glasgow, because Glasgow is not unique uh, here, uh, faces in the times that we live through right now. But nor will I stand here and allow Glasgow, uh, one of the greatest cities in the world, to be talked down for political purposes in the way that Anna Sarwar has disgracefully been doing in recent times. Anna Sarwar. We're going to be talking next week about making history. That was probably a historically out-of-touch answer from the First Minister. She is basically saying to Glaswegians, that's just as good as it gets. And that's frankly not as good as it gets. She talks about talking to people that are world leaders. These are people on the front line leading the fight against the environmental crisis and she should be taking them much more seriously. Because she needs to lead by example. And Nicola Sturgeon is right to say we need credible action. But while she talks about the need for more public transport and to get people out of the cars, her government is cutting hundreds of train services. She lectures the world on the global environment while cutting cleansing budgets and neglecting the local environment. Her SNP government has missed its renewable heating target, missed its gas emissions target three years running, and she promised 130,000 green jobs by 2020, but we have just over 21,000. We all want COP26 to be the moment the world comes together to stop a climate catastrophe. So when will Nicola Sturgeon stop talking about the credible action and start delivering it? First Minister. Well, let's take each of these in turn. Uh, renewable uh, heat, uh, where we are seeing an increase in renewable heat. Uh, the decline uh, reported yesterday, driven by the reduced output from large biomass systems, uh, as the Energy Saving Trust noted yesterday, actually masked growth in renew renewable heat output from other technologies, including uh, and in particular from heat pumps. Take uh, greenhouse gas emissions in Scotland. We have decarbonised as a country uh, in recent years faster than any G20 country. We've reduced emissions by 515 Yes, our target said that should have been 55%, which is why we're publishing a catch-up plan, which the law requires us to do. We've decarbonised uh, greater and faster than most other countries in the world. That's why we lead by example. In terms of rail services, uh, there has been a consultation. Uh, ScotRail are now looking, of course, uh, at all the responses to that consultation to make sure we've got rail services fit for the future. And it's this government I'm proud to say, because uh, Labour, when they were in government, uh, didn't even allow us to have the powers to do it, that is going to renationalise Scotland's railways to make them fit for the future. Thank you. We'll now take supplementary questions, and I call Jim Fairley. Thank you, President Officer. In 2014, we were told that the people in Scotland benefit from the UK's influence on the world stage. Yet, under Westminster's control, Decisions are constantly taken that affect our lives, but without any serious consideration to the interests of the Scottish people. The latest example is the New Zealand trade deal. Can I ask the First Minister for her assessment of the possible effects this agreement will have on our farming industry and on the wider Scottish economy? First Minister. Well, the proposed trade agreement with New Zealand uh, represents a significant opening up of our agriculture market to imports 
of New Zealand agri-food, uh, which is produced to lower costs uh, and, crucially, will do nothing to offset the damage to our economy caused by Brexit. I mean, the UK's government's own economic analysis concluded that a UK-New Zealand trade agreement would have a 0% impact on UK GDP overall, while the deal uh, would actually deliver a contraction of 0.5% to uh, GDP in Scotland's agriculture uh, and semi-processed food sector. So uh, we were not involved in these negotiations, uh, but this proposed deal is evidence that when it comes uh, to negotiating these trade deals, uh, Scotland's interests are nowhere on the radar uh, of the UK government, and it is utterly disgraceful, uh, and yet another uh, downside implication of the Brexit disaster. I call Douglas Lumsden. Uh, thank you, President Officer. As the First Minister knows, I, along with many other Scots, are taking part in the Novavax vaccine trial. It's now over two weeks since trialists in other parts of the United Kingdom have been contacted and offered an alternative vaccine, but in Scotland there has been silence. Can I ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will follow the UK Government in offering trial participants two doses of an alternative vaccine? This would give them clarity and peace of mind that they are appropriately protected. First Minister. Uh, discussions are ongoing on that matter. We have uh, absolutely made clear that there will be no disadvantage to those uh, who took part in vaccine trials. We're deeply grateful to those uh, who did so. I know the, uh, the Health Secretary is having discussions with the Secretary of State and the Chief Medical Officer later today and of course we'll update Parliament as soon as possible. Jackie Bailey. A 94-year-old woman in my constituency had to cancel her booster vaccination appointment because she caught COVID. Thankfully, she is now recovered, but the family have been trying to rebook online and on the telephone with the NHS informed booking service. They tried over three days, phoning several times a day. The operator told her yesterday that the system was down. It's been down all week and they don't know when it's going to be fixed. So when the First Minister was telling everybody to phone NHS inform this week to get an appointment, the system wasn't functioning. Can she tell us when it will be fixed? First Minister. It, it is resolved uh, as I understand it now. There was a problem uh, with it. If uh, Jackie Bailey wants to uh, send the Health Secretary details of a particular constituent, we, we can be in touch to make sure uh, that uh, they have uh, what they need to rebook the appointment. Uh, there will be issues like that from time to time. Uh, they are regrettable. We fix them as quickly as possible. But uh, as of uh, yesterday, almost 600,000 booster vaccinations had happened across Scotland. Every day, uh, there are thousands of booster vaccinations taking place and that is to the great credit of everybody administering the scheme across the country. Paul McLennan. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The First Minister will be aware that the people of Afghanistan are currently suffering through a humanitarian crisis, with more than half of its population facing acute hunger as the country is gripped in one of the world's largest food shortages. The UN has warned that a harsh winter looms with over 23 million Afghans will go hungry as a result of conflict and economic downturn. Will the First Minister express her solidarity with the plight of the people of Afghanistan and call on the UK Government to work quickly with the UN to come to their aid. First Minister. Uh, yes, indeed. I am sure all of us uh, would want to express once again our solidarity with the people of Afghanistan. Uh, the Scottish uh, Government has announced uh, humanitarian uh, funding uh, through our own humanitarian emergency fund. We did that just last month. We're also welcoming people uh, from Afghanistan and helping uh, give them refuge here. Uh, so I think we all want to do everything possible to help, and the Scottish Government uh, is absolutely focused on making sure we do that. Liam Kerr. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Aberdeen City Council is £6 million out of pocket, as the Scottish Government has not paid vital COVID grants from over a year ago. Now, Ministers have pushed back the date for payment on three separate occasions. So when will Aberdeen Council get the money due? First Minister. 
councillors are getting every penny that uh, they are due. I'll look into the particular issue of the timing of payments to Aberdeen City Council and write uh, to the member. But uh, councils uh, have had uh, tens uh, of millions of pounds of COVID funding and they get, as I say, every penny they are entitled to. Paul O'Kane. Last week, one of my constituents, Ms Cooper from Bishop Briggs, went to get her COVID-19 booster vaccine. She arrived on time for her appointment, but the vaccination centre had no available disabled parking, no managed queuing and no seating for waiting patients. Ms Cooper, who is 83, has dementia, diabetes and reduced mobility, and was made to wait for an hour and a half outside in the cold and rain. Ms Cooper's daughter now tells me that her mother is afraid to go for any future vaccination. Ms Cooper is not alone. My inbox and inboxes of colleagues are full of similar cases. With the elderly forced to wait in such conditions, it is turning people off from getting their vaccination at a time when it is more needed than ever. What is the First Minister doing to ensure that our elderly and most vulnerable citizens are vaccinated quickly, safely, and that nobody's mother or father has to wait for hours in inclement weather, which I am sure she will agree is unacceptable? First Minister. Well, I know the Health Secretary has raised with NHS uh, board chairs uh, the issues around uh, people having to queue or, or having to wait for appointments, and it is really important that that does not happen. Um, so my, uh, you know, obviously, I would accept uh, that uh, what has been recounted there it is not uh, acceptable for any elderly elderly person, but I do think it is also important to recognise the huge success of the vaccination programme, including the booster campaign that is underway right now, literally as we speak. Uh, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people being vaccinated uh, with booster JAGs, and that is a good thing because it is a vital part of our protection uh, over this winter period. Health boards are working hard on that, vaccinators are working hard on that, and the Scottish Government is doing everything and will continue to do everything uh, to support that programme. Christine Graham. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, First Minister, NHS Borders are currently sending out booster vaccination invitations. Can the First Minister confirm uh, to my constituents that if you are registered with a Borders GP, that even if you have had one or both vaccinations in England, for example, then you will be notified of this appointment by NHS Borders? First Minister. Uh, yes, that uh, is the case. Uh, the, the appointment uh, notification will be through the NHS uh, in the borders. Obviously, uh, anybody who does not receive their notification when they believe they should have done, uh, the processes uh, that are there uh, allow them to check uh, what and uh, if there is a problem with that. Pam Gossel. Sorry, presiding officer. A recent report revealed that 53 per cent of surveyed university staff showed portable signs of depression and that one in five academics were working at least two extra days per week. What action is the Scottish Government taking to help universities and colleges reduce the workload of staff as restrictions persist? First Minister. Well, we recognise there has been a mental health impact uh, on many, many people in different sectors across the country. Uh, we are taking uh, steps uh, in a range of ways uh, to improve mental health provision. Obviously, first and foremost, it is for universities and colleges to make sure that they are looking after the well-being of their own staff. And uh, through the discussions we have with the sector about funding and other support, uh, we will, as we will do in all sectors, make sure that mental health issues are properly catered for. Question number three, Rachel Hamilton. To ask the First Minister, in light of COP26, what action the Scottish Government is taking to showcase the role that Scottish agriculture can play in reducing carbon emissions? First Minister. Well, 
Firstly, I'm sure uh, Rachel Hamilton will join me in welcoming the announcement uh, this morning by the Rural Affairs Secretary of a national test programme of measures uh, to kickstart action by farmers and crofters to reduce their carbon emissions. Uh, the Rural Affairs Secretary also announced yesterday that the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme will reopen for funding in 2022 to support the ambition of doubling the amount of land under organic management. We've also published a consultation building on key themes uh, from the farmer-led groups which will help to inform future work. Uh, I also hope Rachel Hamilton will have noticed what we are not doing here in Scotland. Uh, we won't be selling out Scotland's farmers and food producers in trade agreements, which threaten to undermine standards and prices. We won't be cutting the level of payments that our farmers receive, and we will fight UK Tory plans to treat agriculture payments as subsidies, unlike any other jurisdiction in the world, uh, which further undermines the potential support available for farmers and crofters in Scotland for producing food. Rachel Hamilton. Presiding Officer Rishi Sunak's budget yesterday delivers for Scottish farmers and crofters, providing an additional £1.9 billion, which will be beneficial in fighting climate change. We also welcome the Scottish Government's commitment for further AICS funding, a long-standing Conservative demand, but farmers require urgency on the detail of that extended funding. Scottish agriculture has some of the most environmentally friendly practices in the world, yet there are concerns from livestock producers that the industry will be used as a scapegoat. Has the Scottish Government ever considered allocating funding to accelerate the reduction of cattle numbers? Yes or no, First Minister? First Minister. Uh, I think our agriculture se uh, sector is being used as a scapegoat, but not by this government. It's been used as a scapegoat by the UK Government uh, and, frankly, betrayed and let down. Uh, by the UK government. We know that agriculture is an emitter of greenhouse gases. It must play its role in us meeting our net zero uh, target, but we will do that in a way that supports the sector appropriately to do that. Uh, and we will not shortchange the sector in the way that the UK government has. Thank you. Thank you. Question number four, Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, presiding officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the UK budget. First Minister. Uh, well, there, is, uh, there are aspects of the UK Government, of course, uh, that we welcome, uh, but there is also much to be disappointed in, in the UK Government. It does not do nearly enough to address uh, the cost of uh, living crisis that many individuals and families across uh, the country are facing. Um, and it will leave the Scottish Government with less resources in every year of the spending review than we have at our disposal in this year. Uh, so it results in considerable challenges for the Scottish Government government, but of course we will set out our own budget plans shortly. Kenneth Gibson. I thank the First Minister for that answer. Millions face a squeeze on living standards over the coming year. While the Chancellor cut taxes on bank profits, he failed to introduce measures to help households already struggling with rising prices on food and fuel. The tax burden is now at its greatest since the 1950s, with national insurance contributions raised and personal income tax allowances frozen, cutting people's disposable incomes. Does the First Minister agree with Paul Johnson, Director of Institute of Fiscal Studies, that this is actually awful? Yet more years of real incomes barely growing, high inflation, rising taxes, poor growth, keeping living standards virtually stagnant for another half decade, anti-poverty charity Z2K, that there's absolutely nothing in this budget for the three million plus whose disability, illness or caring responsibilities mean they can't work and will be hard this winter. And does excuse she further me, agree that this budget me, is a failure in terms Mr. of delivering Gibson, equality, fairness Mr. and improving Gibson, the lives could of you people please, in Scotland? Could you please hold on for one minute, please? Sorry. That was an exceptionally long question, but I will decide whether or not we will hear your exceptionally long question. 
Um, I'd be grateful if the First Minister has heard enough to respond to that. I would, I would ask members to bear in mind there is a great deal of interest in this session. I'd like to get in as many members as possible. First Minister. Well, I suspect I know why uh, the Tories didn't want to hear Kenny Gibson's question, that because there were some deeply uncomfortable truths in it for them. Uh, when I gave my initial answer to Mr Gibson, um, there was laughter uh, from the benches of the Conservatives when I said that we would have uh, less money in every year of the spending review than we do uh, have in this year. Let me just give the detail of that presiding officer. Between this year and next year, Scotland's resource budget is being cut by 7.1% in real terms. The equivalent reduction for our capital budget is 9.7% in real terms. So that's the reality and I'm not surprised the Tories don't like it. First, um, Minister, First Minister, if you could just give me one second. I would very much like to hear the First Minister and I would be grateful if colleagues could desist from commenting from a sedentary position. Thank you. Um, and two final points, uh, Presiding Officer, that I suspect the Conservatives will also not want to hear. It is the case that uh, on the issue of living standards, uh, the Director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies said yesterday about the budget, this is actually awful. Uh, more years of real incomes barely growing, high inflation, rising taxes, poor growth, keeping living standards virtually stagnant for another half decade. Um, and then, of course, we have universal credit. And this is what the Resolution Foundation had to say of the four 4.4 million households in universal uh, credit, around three quarters, will be worse off as a result of decisions to take away the £20 a week uplift. So beyond the headlines, those are the realities for individuals and families right across the country. That's why the Conservatives didn't want to hear the facts. I call Liz Smith. Uh, thank you. Could I ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's reaction is to yesterday's call from the Scottish Tourism Alliance to extend the period of business rates relief in retail, hospitality and leisure on a similar basis to that that was announced by the Chancellor yesterday? First Minister. Well, of course, we already had extended 100% rates relief when the Chancellor didn't do it for other parts of the UK. There is 100% rates relief already in place in this financial year. We will bring forward our budget in due course for scrutiny by this Parliament, and I can give a guarantee that we will be fair to the retail sector, as we have been in a way that the UK Government over recent months has not. Maggie Chapman. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can I ask the First Minister what her reaction is to the aviation cut in yesterday's announcement? What demand management can we put in place to ensure it does not encourage climate pollutant, polluting frequent flying within the UK? First Minister. Well, I think it was the wrong choice uh, a few days from COP26 uh, starting when all of us all of us have an obligation to think about how we contribute uh, to reaching net zero and saving the planet, uh, that the Chancellor chose uh, to make that cut in aviation duty. It's not a choice uh, this government would have made, but it is for them to defend that in the months to come. Thank you. Question number five, Pauline McNeill. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government anticipates the impact of COP26 will be on Glasgow's healthcare services. First Minister. Well, the Scottish Government is working very closely with NHS uh, Greater Glasgow and Clyde. Uh, we have been doing so for some months to plan and prepare for COP26. Uh, information from previous COP26 
uh, summits tells us that the impact on routine health services is not substantial. However, we are not complacent uh, and we also recognise the risks associated with hosting COP during the pandemic. We've been working, therefore, with the UN, the UK Government, Glasgow City Council and Public Health Scotland and others to put in place measures to mitigate these risks and the potential impact on the NHS and other public services. Uh, arrangements are in place to closely monitor COVID cases and respond swiftly and appropriately to any increase in cases in order to minimise uh, impact on healthcare services. Pauline McNeill. So I'd like the First Minister would like to recognise the hard work that has been done by our health services, but I hope she might share my concern. The Health Board papers this week, Greater Glasgow and Clyde, said that no specific provision has been made for additional inpatient capacity during COP26. And I'd hope the First Minister will note that it isn't really comparable to the G7 summit because there will be around 14,000 delegates a day at COP and the activist march on the 6th of November has been licensed for up to 100,000 people. So it's obvious that given that COVID cases are high and hospitals already under or uh, overwhelmed, that there's likely to be an increase in patient, uh, in patient numbers. In light of this, can the First Minister today or at some other time tell me what will be the receiving hospital for COP26 and will that particular hospital have additional capacity? And finally, the First Minister, I'm sure, will have, does have an interest um, in her own constituency insofar as I hope that she could tell me that there will be safe and guaranteed routes to accident and emergency not just for ambulances, but for the general public who will need to uh, attend A&E during COP26. And I hope that she could give me whatever assurance that she can, that she will be mindful of the need to constantly ensure that these safe routes to accident and emergency in our hospitals is provided. First Minister. Uh, on that last point, which is, of course, extremely important, uh, all of that is factored into the transport plans that are in place, as people would expect it to be. Um, on the, the, the broader question, uh, Parliament Neil mentioned G7. Uh, I know Greater Glasgow and Clyde have been looking at previous COP summits to try to assess uh, the likely impact on routine healthcare. I think it is important to recognise, though, uh, that previous COP summits have not taken place amidst a, a pandemic, so there may be a different impact here. Uh, there's a number of contingency arrangements in place. Both I and the Health Secretary have been looking closely at the contingency arrangements that Glasgow uh, Health Board have in place. Uh, so there is substantial on-site health provision to try to reduce the impact on hospitals in Glasgow. Uh, Greater Glasgow uh, and Clyde Health Board is increasing the staffing uh, that will be in place uh, during uh, the summit. Uh, and of course, uh, the, the hospitals that will receive patients will depend uh, on uh, the nature of why patients are being admitted to hospital and of course the profile uh, of impact across uh, the city. So there are substantial contingency arrangements in place uh, and I hope that gives some reassurance to Polly McNeill and the Chamber. Sandesh Gulhani. Thank you. With significant road closures and ill-timed roadworks all across Glasgow, what provisions have been put in place to allow hard-working NHS staff to get to work? First Minister. Uh, the transport plans uh, that are in place take account uh, of all of these things. They have been communicated to people in Glasgow uh, over quite a significant period uh, now so that people can make arrangements. It is vital uh, that those who work in our health service uh, get to work and that has been uh, part of the consideration as these plans have been put in place. Question number six, Mark Ruskell. Thank you. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government will be doing to amplify the voices of the Global South at COP26. First Minister. We have committed to ensuring that our programme for COP26 is inclusive and that we work to amplify the voices of those who too often are not heard 
uh, including through the Glasgow Climate Dialogues, uh, to learn, listen and engage on the key issues for uh, those from the Global South. Uh, we want people to be at the heart of decision-making in Scotland and at COP, which is why we also supported the Global Citizens Assembly uh, to bring lived experiences of global citizens directly to COP. Uh, we're amplifying youth voices in Scotland and Malawi, for example, through our Malawi Climate Leaders Programme. Uh, I expect to have a number of meetings with representatives of the Global South over the next two weeks to listen to their perspective on the climate crisis and to hear how we can further support uh, their voices in their ask of COP26. Mark Croskill. Can I thank the First Minister for that answer? It's clear that leadership is being shown by the Scottish Government here. But the Global South have been clear that a just transition away from fossil fuels, which leaves nobody behind, must also be a priority at this COP. And let's look at what other small nations of around 5 million people are doing, using their full powers over energy. New Zealand, Denmark, Ireland, Costa Rica are all moving on from the era of oil and gas. The case for independence rests on Scotland proudly joining them as a world leader in this real just transition. Does the First Minister agree? First Minister. Yes, we're all in a transition away from oil and gas. And as I said uh, earlier this week, uh, we have to accelerate that transition as far as possible. That's why, for example, the Scottish Government has commissioned uh, new research to look in detail at how we can do that and how quickly uh, we can uh, do that. Uh, we've got to build up the alternatives. We've got to do that as quickly as possible. But crucially, we've got to support those who work in oil and gas transition into the jobs of the future. So uh, the Scottish Government is very focused on doing that and to make sure that the just transition is one that is fast enough uh, in the interests of the planet. Karen Adam. Thank you, President Officer. At the most recent International Development CPG meeting, we discussed those people who are the most disproportionately affected by climate change in the Global South, such as young people, women and the marginalised. It was stressed that any international aid must get to the local communities because they are best suited to ensure that the aid is distributed where it is most needed. Can I ask the First Minister, what steps can the Scottish Government take to ensure that aid is reaching these local communities and vulnerable groups? First Minister. Uh, well, in trying to amplify those voices over COP, this will be one of the key issues. Uh, climate finance is uh, one of the significant strands of the discussions that will take place in Glasgow over uh, the next uh, two weeks. Uh, the, the quantum of climate finance, but also how that finance is used uh, so that it's not just on mitigation, but it is also on adaptation and crucially on what's called loss and damage. Our own Climate Justice Fund uh, is looking to pivot towards that. So we can lead by example in what we do, uh, but also do everything we can to make sure the voices of the Global South are heard on these issues. And that's exactly what we intend to seek to do. Question number seven, Willie Rennie. Uh, to ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's position is regarding the use of facial recognition technology in schools. First Minister. Uh, facial recognition technologies in schools uh, don't appear to me to be proportionate or necessary. Uh, that said, as Willie Rennie will be aware, the introduction of biometric identification systems uh, is a matter for local authorities and schools. Uh, the Scottish Government is clear that prior to introducing biometric systems, an education authority should carry out a privacy impact assessment or proportionate equivalent and consult with pupils and parents. Information should also be provided on data protection, how to opt out, consent issues and alternative systems which may be used. Uh, schools and local authorities uh, will also pay due attention to the Information Commissioner's Office requirements that organisations using facial recognition technology should comply with data protection law uh, before, during and after its use. Willie Rennie. 
The subtle change of tone from the First Minister is mildly welcome, but I'm afraid she's not doing enough on this, because it's about children's rights, and she doesn't seem to be that bothered about it. The United Kingdom Information Commissioner has called a halt to the scheme in North Ayrshire, but it should never have got this far. The SNP government previously opposed the Scottish Biometrics Commissioner having a role in health and education. If the First Minister won't intervene on facial recognition, will she at least now support the expansion of the remit of the Biometrics Commissioner so that he can intervene? First Minister. Uh, I'm happy to give consideration uh, to that suggestion, uh, but of course the rights of children are hugely important, I think, to all of us. In this chamber, we're committed to ensuring uh, that their rights are protected, uh, and that includes uh, the right of children and young people to the fair and lawful process of their personal information. Uh, I'm not aware of any uh, subtle change in the tone of uh, my answer. Uh, what I set out in my answer is important. It recognises the role of local authorities uh, when we're talking about schools, but also sets out uh, the requirements that local authorities uh, need to pay heed to. I think that's the appropriate way to deal with what I accept is a difficult and sensitive issue. Thank you. I call Pam Duncan Clancy. Thank you. Um, the First Minister, like me, has the privilege of representing Glasgow as, as an MSP. I'm really disappointed to hear her response today to Anna Sauer's question, asking you to meet with cleansing workers tomorrow because of the state of our streets and because there are rats running about our streets is not talking Glasgow down, it is letting Glasgow down. As my representative, as my MSP, I ask the First Minister again, please meet with cleansing workers tomorrow and hear, for them, hear from them firsthand what is happening. And I can assure you there are rats in our streets, there are rats in my flat. As my, as my representative, please meet with cleansing workers tomorrow and show that you care about Glasgow. First Minister. I think people uh, who live in and work in Glasgow, certainly in my constituency, know that I care deeply uh, about all of the issues uh, that they face. That presumably is one of the reasons that they have elected and re-elected me as their representative. Uh, I listen to cleansing workers, I listen to people uh, across Glasgow on a daily basis. My job uh, as a local representative is to represent those interests, which I do every day to the best of my ability. My job as First Minister is to try to find the solutions uh, to these issues. That's why the Scottish Government will continue to do everything we can to support COSLA uh, to find uh, a solution to these issues. Uh, I don't shy away, as a resident of and a representative of the City of Glasgow, I don't shy away uh, from the challenges that the City faces, but I do think some of the language that Labour is using about Glasgow, some of the ways in which Labour is seeking to characterise the City of Glasgow is doing a disservice to the City and to people who live there, and they're doing that for political purposes, uh, not in the interest of the city. Thank you. That, that concludes First Minister's questions. Point of order, Finlay Carson. Uh, my apologies for my late notification, my point of order. I seek your guidance over comments made by Graham Day, the Minister responsible for transport relating to future rail services in the south-west of Scotland. Speaking in the Chamber on the 22nd of September, in response to a question from Emma Harper, the Minister stated there would be six additional services operating on the Air to Sunrar line. I then raised a supplementary question on this information, and Mr Day responded, in his haste to jump up and ask a supplementary question, Finlay Carson was clearly not listening to my first answer, so I will repeat what I said. It is proposed that there will be additional six air to Stranraer services compared to the current timetable. 
Subsequently, I asked SPICE to confirm that the information provided by the Minister was indeed correct. SPICE have since confirmed that the Minister spoke in error. In the response, SPICE stated, and I quote, to confirm, rail officials and the Minister are aware of the error below. The error resulted in analysis of figures by rail officials, which were then provided to Mr Day. Despite that fact, and apparently the Minister has been informed, I have received no communication or apology from Mr Day on this matter. I am therefore seeking your guidance. Has the Minister made any attempt that you are aware of to correct the record on this matter, uh, now that he must surely be aware of the error that it made? And if not, given how long the misinformation has been part of the official report, can you advise how this error should be addressed and whether there has been any breach in the Code of Conduct, ministerial or otherwise? Thank Mr Finlay for his contribution, which is now on the record. Um, the member will be aware that the content of members' contributions is not a matter for me in the chair. There does, however, exist a mechanism by which members can correct any contribution that they have made. Thank you.